Genre. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Return of the King, one scary eye twitch at a time. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Norman Mitchell. And today we're going to be talking about Minute 47, which starts with Denethor saying, How did you escape and my son did not? So mighty a man is he. Um, And it ends with Denethor also saying to Gandalf, Do you think the eyes of the White Tower are blind? He doesn't quite get the D out. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, the blind. Okay. It um did he not just hear what Pippin said? Because like I I guess not. He died. Defending, defending us. us. Yeah. How did you escape? Um Defending Your your us. your son laid down his life for me. That's why I'm pledging my life to you. Do you not understand? <laughs> Get it together, old man. Right? Are you deaf? Okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> That's the name of this episode. Uh, <laughs> just okay, boomer. Um, okay, dinosaur. I feel like... 10-4, dinosaur. <laughs> Have you seen that list? There's like a list of like... Synonyms? Yeah. It's just like... No, oh. I haven't. Uh... <laughs> Ten four, Denethor. <laughs> it's a big ten four, Denethor. Uh, yeah. How did you escape? Come on, man. <laughs> I just told you. I just, I just told you. Even uh, Denethor's not a good listener. Just, just right out of the gate. And then Pippin just being so blunt with it. Yeah, I told you. I told you yesterday. He's a noble idiot. Just and I won't hear anything against him. Boromir was pierced by many, and just the noise John John Noble makes is just so heartbreaking. Yeah, you don't want to think about your dead son dying at the hands of like arrows. Yeah, because it takes him a long time to die. Yeah, it does. Yeah, he goes down like a boss, but I mean, still goes down. Yeah, still sad for sure. I would have called you king. <gasps> I um, I would have brought home this man, and my dad wouldn't have been happy about it. <laughs> Look who I found! Hey, Dad, you can retire now. <laughs> oh, because ostensibly Boromir would have become steward. Oh my God! That makes me so sad. I mean, he's the eldest. I know, I know, I know. He is. Oh. That hurts me. There's got to be, like, a plethora of um, fan-written fiction, as it were. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> of those two. Of, uh, of... Not even in, like, a, a shippy way. Just, like, just a bro-y way. Mm. Like, um... Yeah, just... Just just guys being dudes. Yeah. What's better than this? What's better than this? <laughs> I bet uh, there are. You gotta... You gotta wonder if Boromir had some lady in waiting back in Gondor, too. Just a powerful man, son of the steward. Um, probably. But it's not like he, like, you know, actually, you know what? 
I think he's married to his job. Yeah, that makes sense. From, like, all the things that, like, the, the brief flashback we get of him, like, being Boromir, I guess. Yeah. I think that he's, like, a career, like, military man. Yeah, he's, like, that, that stereotypical small-town sheriff. He's married no. to the job. No, I mean, it's he's not, like, what's the sheriff from Stranger Things? Oh, Hopper? Hopper, yeah. Well, oh, Hopper is a... Is a, a dad divorced through grief and yeah, not no, for really any other reason. He's not like not in that not in not in the small town sheriff way, just like in the Just <laughs> Now I'm just imagining David Harbour playing just sad, sad Boromir. Oh no. Like just... sad old Boromir? <laughs> yeah. Just the, well, everything every, every no, everything is exactly the same he's... in the plot of the story, except that Boromir is like forty years older. <laughs> It just traipsing around sad. Then he would be um, Aragorn's age, right? Yeah. The, no, the... just just drunk, grief-stricken Boromir. Oh, oh, why is he? Why is he grief-stricken? Oh God, because Faramir died. Yeah. Oh no! Why did I do this to myself? If Faramir had gone instead. Oh. Oh, oh no! Oh, little brother. Faramir would have taken Aragorn immediately. To Gondor? No, I, no, I, I, no. I, I mean, like as a person, like Faramir, I think would have immediately just kind of taken to the kind of person that Aragorn oh, is. Oh, 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 oh! Not taken him to Gon- Gondor, but yeah, would yeah, yeah. would have been taken by his his person. Oh, well, I mean, they do have similar taste in women. Yep, we know that. <laughs> Some common ground <laughs> to start hashtag from. Hashtag confirmed. So, <laughs> so they they got that. <laughs> They both they're both men of the woods. They have a fondness for um hobbits. And brooding. And brooding. They have a fond respect for Sam's um brashness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're they're similar in a lot of ways. They would have got along famously. I don't think also Faramir probably would have just been like, oh Isn't Faramir the steward of Gondor? So that he, thing's he, evil. He, he serves underneath. Aragorn. Yeah. After the credits stop rolling. Yeah. Becomes the steward. Yeah. So like. Eowyn his stewardess. What? I don't know. I'm no. making a joke. <laughs> Whatever. Would Eowyn keep her title as a lady of Rohan? I don't know. I'm not. I'm. You know, I'm not sure. How do the marriage politics of. <laughs> Of Middle Earth function. Of Middle Earth royalty function. <laughs> because, like in the in the British monarchy, you keep the titles you had before. But she, because Aemer is still alive, so she wouldn't right. have a claim to the throne. Right. That's hmm. true. I don't know. I don't know if she kept her kept her title after after the end of I all this. I love if you Google Aowen. The first question is: Does Aragorn love Aowen? <laughs> Maybe. But not enough to just, like, actually give up our one. Yeah. This, uh... We, I mean, we talked we talked about that. Yeah. At, at good length already. But, uh, yeah. I like John Noble's kind of subtle venom in this in this performance in this minute. Mm. Just kind of getting... Keeping, uh, keeping it going there. Is this as Game of Thronesy as these movies get? With Denethor and Gandalf? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. 
like just the um the aesthetic of like the seething bitter politician yeah and the person who's trying to steer them the way because like gandalf is i mean he says he says like for all your subtleties you you lack wisdom yeah so because gandalf is um being rather manipulative he's like you still have friends you're not alone like the beacons Right. He wasn't even going to tell him that his son is dead. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that Do this... you think the eyes of the White Tower are blind? I don't think that's just a matter of knowing the enemy is out there. I think that's also a line of Denethor to Gandalf being like, don't think I don't see what you do. Yeah. I always took that as um, a, a hint that he also had a Palantir. Yes, definitely. Okay. Definitely. But I, I, the delivery of the line feels like a like a personal jab. Not like a I have information you don't kind of yeah, performance. Just like how dare you come into my house and insult me. Yeah. I like that he calls him Miss Randier. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing the elves call him. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it's his uh I think it's his oldest name he uses is Middle Earth. Mm. I believe. Because the it's the the men of the north that started calling him Gandalf. Um because I like the... Um... I can't remember what the dwarves call him, but they have a name for him too, I believe. Don't they just call him Gandalf in The Hobbit? Yeah, but I think the I think there is a dwarven name for him too. I can't remember without oh, looking. Okay. It would be... It would be slightly shocking to me if Tolkien never wrote down a dwarven name for Gandalf. Given Tolkien's predilection for language. But I think... Wasn't dwarvish the... Dwarven? Dwarvish? The, um, the language that he wrote about the least? Yes. But I, I think that, I mean, he, he wrote a bunch of names for Aragorn. Yeah. I, I can't remember the name he used in Gondor in his youth now. We talked oh, ab- we yeah. talked about it last season, I think, really briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the, um, when is that Amazon show coming? 2020? One would assume. Probably next Christmas. Yeah, right. Because we were talking about like, oh God, what if they do Young Strider? Like, yeah. Yeah. Just, just young Aragorn. I'm, I'm pumped that they're not doing Young Strider. Nope. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a while. Based but... on the little map tease, it looks like we're getting a Numenor story. Yeah, Second Age. Yeah, so that that's pretty rad. Atlantis. I hope that they. Speaking of like, because we've been talking a lot about like the real world architectural influence of Gondor, or at least Minas Tirith, mm. and if Minas Tirith's architecture in Middle-earth is based off of Numenorean architecture. I'm curious to see what that looks like. Oh, yeah. I am a big damn nerd. (laughs) Right? I mean, I'm imagining... I want to see the pretty buildings, please. I mean, I'm imagining like a straight-up Parthenon-style building somewhere. Parthenon? You think... But if... if, if, um... Well, because Byzantium is like... The the architecture of Byzantium is like Greco-Roman plus... But also influenced by the Near East. Yeah. So it's like a combined influence sort of deal. Right. So I'm... But if is but it, that... It, is they that, still built some of the stuff that looked more Greco-Roman from time to time. Is that a... Like a direct homage to, to Numenor, though? Like, or... Gondorian architecture. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious where they're going to go with the, the set design. Because... Didn't we... Didn't they confirm that they had bought the rights to use all the sets and stuff? Yeah, but if you're going to be on Numenor, just 
I mean, I know it's expensive, but... And even so, like, the CG has gotten um, to the point where if you're using it as, like, a... Not a backdrop, but, like... I don't know. Not like not like the Star Wars prequels to the extent where you're acting on a, a green screen, but you can use that to augment your your sets that you built. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm just curious if the if it's going to be if it's going to look like the designs of Gondor are things that would have been influenced by the Numenorean architecture, or if they're going to be like so close that you would think it's like the same style. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what that's I'm wondering. That's what I'm asking because I because I, you're going to trace backwards, then the it should probably look a little more Greco-Roman than the Gondorian stuff if you're going to use like the real world influence sort of deal. Right, but then they could just go in a completely different direction. They could and take the Persian influence instead. Right. Uh, the that would be sort of backwards architecturally because it was the like Byzantium is the Greeks bringing their architecture there starting to to build some of this or the Romans right actually. but I'm just saying like if you're pulling from real world cultures and it's it's a made-up fantasy world like right you could you could reverse it I'm not sh- you know based on the world that we've seen and the at least the costuming influences of some of the other men in Middle Earth, like the the Herodrim, the, the yeah. then it would seem that it would be that the men of Gondor were influenced by the architecture of Harad and not the other way around. Mm. And that's why Minas Tirith looks like Byzantium. Yeah. Because they brought their stuff from Numenor and were influenced by the by architecture, the architecture. Of, the, okay. of the men around yeah, them. That makes sense. So, so there's I some of that like already kind of there. So like, do you think they're just going to go straight up Atlantis? Maybe. Because Which I'm not is. against. Like I'm I'm definitely not against that. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see like very Greek style architecture in places. And and we see some of it in the So if you lived in a place that was always warm, look the design of uh the design of Gondor's Great Hall is the two rows of columns on the outside edge with the statues and stuff. Yeah. But if you lived in a place that was always temperate and the weather was perfect, why would you ever put the walls up? Yeah, it would just be open. It would, it would be like a it courtyard. Would, it would look like the Parthenon. That's true. Hmm. Like, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Okay, I see. Because that's why it's like that. Yeah. It's because the Mediterranean climate is so temperate and comfortable. For now. For now. <laughs> that all this, all these ancient peoples just... Anything that was a public space was pretty much just open. Right. We just put up a roof and some columns. We don't got to well, build walls. People don't sleep here. You don't think, like, the temples... I don't know. I've never been to Greece. It's been a while since I've looked at, a like, a humanities book, but, like... Right, they yeah. They walls. Yeah. Usually, like, inner chambers, but then there was, like, large outer structures that were public spaces, not places where people would, like, sleep... Or congregate overnight. So in that in that sense of like a public space, though, is the official, like the king's seat, would they consider that like a public space? That depends on the openness of the culture. Yeah. I would say. Well, I'm saying like Gondor. Probably. Given that we're supposed to believe that like the men of Numenor and the Gondorians are uh, 
or at least the men of Gondor are descended from honorable, ethical people connected to their populace who are benevolent rulers. So it makes sense for like a, a door always open policy, mm. which is kind of the vibe you get from Edoras in a way, but in a different kind of in a different cultural connotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different sort of public access. Yeah. Like you get the feeling that the because the that people... not going to turn away anyone that knocks on the door. That's right, from right, right. Rohan. And like they all share the same, like they all share the same great hall. Like the the king eats with his his subjects. Yeah, in, exactly. At least in that in that scene, it's very Celtic and and Viking. Yeah, yeah. So like this is um, I don't know. Like I guess just how much do the men of Gondor see their king as um, like. A servant like a you know like serving the the realm right i mean ultimately uh some of the influences too i'm not sure uh again without looking because you know anthropology the anthropology of middle earth is a complicated beast and i'm not sure how established some of the what would have been the tribes of what became the kingdom of rohan were established and how much they influenced the men that settled there Mm -hmm. versus how much of the culture of Rohan is uh, like the men of Numenor that settled north to form the the greater kingdom of Gondor, influencing those people instead of vice versa. Yeah. Like which, which part, which parts of their culture are older. Yeah. Like that's, that's the kind of thing that is a, is very tangled. And I'm sure that it's been, examined somewhere in the in the legendarium oh yeah i i would be shocked uh, probably in like stuff that was never ever intended to be published but you know keeps getting published because because we're having this conversation to- tolkien fans are hungry for this <laughs> well, stuff for the like i mean because we're having this conversation and like that just points to like the the depth and the breadth of 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 world building yeah and how it feels like a like whatever you, however you feel about Tolkien's writing style, because I know a lot of people find it, like a lot of modern dry. readers find it very dry and dull. Yeah. But no matter how you feel about Tolkien's writing style, the thing about how he built his cultures makes them feel real in a way that a lot of other fantasy stories don't tend to, because they do feel so grounded in things that are familiar. Mm-hmm. And a lot of fantasy stories try to lean away from that. At least in like it depends on how high fantasy right. At least in like higher fantasy stuff, yeah, they tend to kind of lean away from obvious real world influences, but you can usually still find some. Whereas Tolkien just leans really heavily into it because his whole thought process was I'm building a mythology for the British Isles. That was like some of the original thought process for this. We don't have a mythology. All of our mythology is inherited, so you know, went off and did his own thing. Mm Because King Arthur is probably really a Germanic story, at least some of the influences. Uh, French. French. I mean, there's arguments about all kinds of stuff like that. See, I am, I'm fascinated by Arthurian legend, but I am not well versed in Arthurian legend. Yeah, because uh, I mean, if that makes sense, there's like a dozen or so different versions of of the King Arthur story. Yeah. And I don't remember. The name of the guy. I thought the most famous one was like the Mort d'Arthur or whatever. Because isn't that French? Yeah, that's French. Yeah. And I, I I, don't remember who wrote that. I used to know off the top of my head. Uh, it's I, old, right? It, it is old. I used to I used to know who wrote and like translated the, or, or I guess who, who translated and filled in gaps and like wrote the story. 
that we are mostly familiar with as far as the Arthur mythos, the one that's adapted the most. Because there's a there's a lot of stuff in yeah. King Arthur. And a lot of stuff that just are ancillary stories related to that mythos that are hodgepodge from other sources. Yeah. Which is why we get I don't know, it's I mean my favorite version of Arthur is the is the slumped the the, the, the mad king. Yeah, the the king in decline. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> my boy. <laughs> But, I mean, that's kind of my favorite version of any ruler in a story, is the, the guy in decline who's going a little mad. Really? Yeah. It's, like, my favorite version of, like, ruler figures oh, in no media. no wonder you like um, Shakespearean tragedies yeah, so man. much. That's why I love Macbeth. Yeah. That's, like, it's your like, bread It's, like, this guy's going crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, Denethor is, is a douchebag of the highest order. See, I am fascinated with, like... Like, Arthur in his prime, King mm. Arthur. Like, still trying to do the right thing, but also, like, on his way to becoming that, the the the, the king in decline. Mm. See, I find Arthur most interesting once he's the king and he doesn't know how to hold on to his power in his old age. And before he's king and how he gets there. Mm. And much less interested in how he sits on the throne as a good king. That's weird, because you are all about, like, the second act most of the time. Right. That's true. That's but I'm I'm much less interested in like the in the perfect ruler narrative than I am in the struggles of how he got there and then the struggles at the end and like reckoning with your legacy and whether you really were a good man. See, because I I find the um the politics like the political like maneuvering and like him like leading his knights of the round table and all of their stuff like really interesting. Mm. I find some of the knight's individual stories way more interesting than yeah, Arthur's I mean, during yeah, the time but, that he's actually in charge. Uh, but they're all in, like, they're all tied up together. Yeah. I mean, Sir Galahad is, like, the the archetypical paladin. That's where the yeah. the, the inspiration for the paladin class in D&D is Sir Galahad. Oh, bless. <laughs> like, that's that's where it comes from. Yeah. Is just, you are, you are chaste and virtuous, and because of this, you basically have superpowers. All right. Strength of ten men, <laughs> Sir Galahad, just doing his thing. Bless. Um, we didn't talk about how hard Gandalf smacks Pippin with <laughs> oh. his staff, but that thing echoes. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the loudest echoes in the well, whole no, scene. I mean, it's not echoey, but it's just it's loud. It's, the it's, ADR yeah, is yeah, really yeah. loud. It, it's one of the loudest noises poor, in, the, in the whole scene. Baby, just get up, get up. He's just, it's just like, oh, look, you've injured the poor man. Poor Pippin. Get up, Pippin. There is, there will be time to grieve for Boromir. Yeah, it's right now, Gandalf. Yeah. The man's son, as Boromir would say, give him a moment for pity's sake. <laughs> in the, in the words of the late Boromir. Yes. <laughs> in the words of his late son, well, give Gandalf him a moment. Gandalf was there because Gandalf was busy dying. That's true. Gandalf, Gandalf was busy sword fighting a Balrog <laughs> up and down a mountain. Whatever. He died. He well, went to Elf Heaven. Yeah. He came back. It's just while they were while they were crying, uh, while Gandalf while they was were crying. Gandalf yeah, was dying. Gandalf was shooting the cover of a seventies metal record. <laughs> just Christopher Lee was very proud. Oh my god! Do we have anything else? We went on a tangent. Yeah, we, we went on a tangent about our three and stuff. But uh, I, where I mean, I'm gonna say it constantly. Oh yeah, but John Noble's the, performance is just so good. The eye, the eye acting. The facial expression in this is like 
masterful. Oh. Like the the slight twitch of his eye that yeah. you can see him. You yeah, can yeah, see yeah. him getting angry. That's so good. Right. Like that's kind of what I was saying just just uh, a bit ago. Is, like Denethor is a douchebag of the highest order, but it is impossible to not be totally drawn, drawn in, in by John Noble's yes, performance. Yes. Just it feels at once both like larger than life, but also so like a shadow of a person. Because I think it works because you can see how charismatic this man like still is, but like was yeah, in his prime. Yeah, definitely. Like imagine how Denethor in his... In his, Denethor at Boromir's age. Yeah, Denethor at like thirty-five, leading the the kingdom of Gondor. Yeah, just being able to convince anyone to just literally eat out of his hand, probably. Die for me, my knight. Um, yeah, just just imagine him in the see? prime of his life. Exactly. But I'm I'm less interested in that part of the story because uh, I I feel like those parts of those parts of fantasy stories where the guy is in control, the the main character is like become con- in control of things, mm-hmm. I think is way less interesting than when they start to fail. And that that's kind of that's like my point, because I feel like that part of the story compared to other parts of fantasy narratives, especially when it comes to rulership, is generally even more cliche than other parts of those stories. So like they all... It's really hard. Yeah, it's really hard for that part of the story to feel distinct to me. And when it does, it really sticks out to me. That's fair. Maybe I just haven't read enough fantasy that takes place in that area of a story. But Well, I mean, because... But, I mean, Tolkien felt that way. That's why he had no interest in writing more of Aragorn and Aragorn's rule, yeah. Like, he's just because I have to write something to upset it, and I don't. (laughs) Right, because the the central um, catalyst for plot is, is conflict of some kind. Right. So... And if you're going to have your main character be a ruler, that means that their rule has to be threatened. And once that actually starts happening, the narrative can, like, pick up and be interesting. But that's why generally I don't find kings to be interesting main characters. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're... Just because their rule is threatened, I think it's interesting how they choose to react to it and who who they become on the other side of it. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean they're just going to be evil and like yeah. go into decline. Yeah. I'm a real, I'm a real sucker for the reckoning with your legacy narrative. Ah, okay. which is, uh, Oh, okay. Like, uh, that's why we people, dig Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. So like, um, people who haven't watched dragon prince, the King in that is like struggling with that. When we, when we meet him in the story, Yeah, he's like reckoning with his legacy and to a lesser extent. So is kind of the guy that's the villain. Yeah. He's also reckoning with his own decisions in a certain in a in a certain kind of way. The that show's really good at kind of hammering that point home that people are the collection of what they've done, but also more than that. Yeah, it's like a really big theme in the story, at least in the first two seasons. And I'm uh, I really like that kind of narrative. I think that that's like it feels really really impactful. Like, and as I've gotten older, I've gotten more interested in that kind of story because I've messed up a lot in my life. Let's be honest. <laughs> Who? You? No, I'm just And I mean, kidding. and everybody does. Yeah. No. So like it just, it, that part of people's stories just feels so like relatable and human to me in a way that I just, yeah. I, I just really like being a part of. That's no, I, and I'm drawn to stories like that too, because I like seeing, I like breaking characters. Mm. Um. I've been uh, nano remoing like National Novel Writing Month all November, 
and that's a theme with the stuff that I've been writing. Like, where is this person's, not lowest point, but, and I, I don't know, I like happy stuff and I like cute stuff, but like, it's more interesting to me to see this person be broken and then figure out what to do next. Mm. Yeah, see, I, I I like that stuff too. Yeah. I've uh, I've been watching a bunch of like analysis videos on YouTube of a guy that mostly talks about DBZ, but has touched on other anime stuff talking about um, different kinds of character arcs. He references mostly uh, two works of writing about the writing of, of characters. And I can't remember what they're called right now off the top of my head. But uh, he, he talks a lot about how the basically that's the crux of a character is they're where what they do when they are like confronted in some way that is yeah. fundamentally different to them yeah. is who they really are. Yeah, what's their line in the sand? Right, exactly. And that's that's some good stuff. Yeah. It's good stuff. Denethor's line in the sand was long ago. Gandalf smacks Pippin so hard and it makes me so upset. Um... <laughs> Gandalf's line in the sand was getting killed by the Balrog. Yeah. Just, it's just like, I'm done. I'm done. Gandalf the Grey is gone. I'm doing what I gotta do now. Um, do we have anything else? I don't think so. I just continue to be impressed by the design of this room. Yes, it's gorgeous. And so, and I, I love the touch that the steward's chair is black. And the throne is white. And the throne is white. Yes. Like the steward is forever literally sitting in the, in shadow, the shadow of the king. And I love that he's in gray. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Denethor's outfit is... It looks comfy. I said yeah. this yesterday, but like, it looks comfy it, AF. <laughs> it's, it is the more... It, it is the more kingly version of what we see Wormtongue wearing. Yeah. Like it it's because what Wormtongue's wearing is way finer than what everyone else in, in Rohan is black. wearing. Wormtongue's, but, Wormtongue's yeah, all in black. Yeah, Wormtongue is in like the blackest black available. I like that Denethor is in gray in this yeah. white and black room. Because he's he's a man teetering. Yes. It's, he's it's very good. Yeah. Visual, I, I like visual visual storytelling without having to tell me. Right. Because looking at this, like the composition of, like, especially when we first see him, uh, I think tells you all you need to know about this this person. Yeah. It, it gives you the, it gives you the really important bullet points right away. Yeah. It's just, so clearly this him guy. Old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's just like, well, yeah. I mean, that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Is like, Gray also doesn't just show like some aspect of his moral character. It's just, and it's an extension of his age. Yeah. His gray hair flows into his gray robe. Yeah. Just, and everything, his his posture, the way he slumps, like the, the white and black in the room, it's all, it's just bullet points. His his despair. Yeah. Like the, even the, the staining on the outside of Gondor could be extended to part of this metaphor of Denethor. Mm. Just. A Denethor metaphor. <laughs> just the, the rotten, like the, the rotten core eating at Denethor is also staining this white city. Yeah. You can get a, you can get real deep with it. As deep as you want. Really explore the space. <laughs> Just reach in there with two hands. Um but I think I don't know, there's been a long couple episodes. Yeah. Whatever. That's cool. I'm, I I guarantee you that we will always find something to talk about. Something to talk about with Denethor. With Denethor. We with have Denethor. been chomping at the bit to talk about Denethor yeah. all since the start of this show are yeah. you kidding me yeah. well that's, that's it's because john noble's performance is just incredible yeah for sure just like as much as we love uh andy circus performance as Gollum, which is noteworthy not just because it's good but because it was groundbreaking like john noble's performance is just a plus it's meaty yeah it's just 
There's he, a lot to sink your teeth into. He he pulls you in completely to every scene he is a part of, which like Bernard Hill also kind of does. But in a different sort of way. Yeah, but in a different sort of way, like with a with a certain kind of Bernard Hill does it with this clear gravitas. And John Noble is, there's this manic energy under the edge. This guy looks like he's holding himself back. This Yeah, this guy is one bad day. Yeah. From just, I mean. Laying waste to everything around him. One bad day from falling off of a cliff while on fire. <laughs> All it takes is one bad day. Yeah. That's a really bad day. <laughs> Denethor is about to have the worst day. <laughs> just the terrible. It's his own fault. It sure is. Just a terrible, no good, bad, awful, ugly horrible, day. ugly yep. day. Yep, I feel that. Or ho- well, however that book title goes. I don't know. I keep adding more. Oh yeah, it's there. just well, you have to. <laughs> That's the joke, right? Yeah, I think so. We're from the website duelinggenre.com. I'll stop us here before we like go on for another hour. Yeah. <laughs> While you're on the website, check out some of the other non-Movies by Minute related podcasts, such as The Doctor's Companion, which I co-host with my friends Scott and Nick. Um, Doctor Who is coming back soon. I'm super excited about 13. We've been covering some classic stuff, so if you're into that at all and you haven't checked it out yet, please do. Jody Whittaker in a tux. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. That's my aesthetic. Just, just all of them in a tux. Yep. Except for, uh, well, three of them in a tux. One of them's not, right? Yeah, um, the girl. Yeah. I, why can't I remember her name? She's like I, the best. <laughs> I'm so no, I know. I know. I only watched like three episodes <laughs> of the season, so. Um, you can. I also... remember Graham. <laughs> Graham is best. Graham. Um, you can also check out the two audio dramas that we host on the site, Geek by Night and Immunities. Um, if you're feeling some fiction, instead of people talking at you about stuff about, about fiction. fiction. <laughs> so if you haven't checked those out yet. Please do. Uh, thank you for listening to us talk about Denethor. architecture. And <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow to talk, I'm sure, more about Denethor. Always more about Denethor. Bye. Bye. Bye.